0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show, Apple Podcast, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher. It'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review wherever you get the podcast. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post the most recent episodes and the occasional funny video or piece of news. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Today's guest is Josh Krebs, currently a member of National Scandal, based in New York City. National Scandal is performing its final show of its regular run at the People's Improv Theater in New York on Thursday, November 14th at 7.30pm on the Underground Stage. Josh's first sketch is called Interrogation. Josh reads the roles of the serial killer and Detective Cooper. I read Detective Harlan and give you the visual information you need to know. So let's go to the sketch.
1: An interrogation room. A serial killer, his shirt covered in dried blood, sits across from Detective Harlan, who stands over him with his knuckles pressed against the desk, leaning into him. He takes off his eyeglasses that he's wearing and begins to clean them with a Kleenex. On the desk are different pieces of evidence in plastic bags. All right. Tell us exactly what happened that afternoon. The young girl. Sarah.
2: I followed her home. I'm listening. I was able to hide for about four or five hours in her closet. Just the anticipation was making me excited. Sexually. Go on. I waited came home and got her when she was most vulnerable. The shower.
1: My ears are open.
2: And I used the kitchen knife and I murdered her. I stabbed her nine times in the stomach.
1: Keep going. That's it. And then I surrendered myself to you. Come on. Don't play around with me, wise guy. Give me the facts. There's something you're not telling me. Harlan takes the knife out of the plastic evidence bag. He takes an apple out of his pocket. He uses the knife to slice off pieces of apple. He pops each piece into his mouth.
2: Uh, no. That's essentially what happened.
1: Detective Harlan takes out a cigarette and lights it. You can be difficult if you want. We can talk about this here, or we can talk about it downtown. We're already downtown. You know, there was a time where we had ways of getting pieces of shit like you to talk. Thanks, Obama.
2: Well, I I have been talking to you for over four hours. I need to be locked up.
1: Detective Harlan gets up from the chair, puts out his cigarette on his palm. If you want to play games for girls, we should play Mystery Date. No games. I am the killer. I'm going to need some help. I'm going to bring in Detective Cooper. Around the precinct, we call him the Beast. Detective Cooper enters, tough as nails. He is carrying a sketch. As he enters, he is staring at it.
2: I've been staring at this thing for six hours now, and I can't make heads or dicks of it.
1: He hands the sketch to Cooper. It is a sketch of the serial killer. We have no leads. Nah, I don't know what you see. Must be some avant-garde Rothko bullshit. Carlin crumbles it up and throws it against the wall.
2: Wow, that looks just like me. Are, are you that small-minded?
1: Cooper takes out his badge and gun and places it on the table. All right. I'm no longer a cop. I'm just a
2: regular dude. So why don't we take off our skirts and really talk? I told everything to your partner. Lock me up. I need to be in prison.
1: You are a tough nut to bust. You know that? But if there's one thing I like to do... It is the Bust Nuts.
2: Ew. Don't do that in here. No, I need to be in solitary. I shouldn't be allowed on the streets.
1: The two detectives take a sidebar.
2: What do you think? Might as well be Fort Knox. No one's getting anything out of him. I can hear you. I told you everything. We gotta let him go. Don't. I'll kill again. Hey, one more word out of you and I'll nail you to a fucking cross. Oh, just like I did to the other body out in Englewood. Here's a map.
1: He pulls up his shirt. On his chest is a map with X's drawn on it, where bodies are buried. See, look, here's
2: a map that's on my chest of where I I buried all the bodies all over Lexington.
1: You shut up.
2: I just told you about another person I murdered. Fuck protocol.
1: Detective Cooper takes his gun and points it to the serial killer's head.
2: Hey! What are you doing?
1: Detective Harlan takes off his glasses and throws them against the wall, busting them. Ah, no. My glasses fell off. I'm blind without them. You think this is a game? I'm ready to make you spill more beans than Hormel at a dizzy bat
2: contest. I told you everything!
0: Cooper
1: lowers his gun. One of these days, you're going to slip up, and we're going to have you dead to rights.
2: You have me right now.
1: Detective Cooper pistol whips the serial killer in the face. You shut
2: that slut of a mouth before I fuck it.
1: Jesus, Cooper. That was over the line. I know your wife, man. I know. She wouldn't appreciate that kind of language. Let's just forget about it.
2: You two remind me of that couple that I killed when I was in the Ozarks.
1: Your sex life sounds awesome, but we don't have time to trade stories about strange tale.
2: I'm giving you this case with a bow on it. Please don't let me go. I'll kill again.
1: Harlan removes the handcuffs from the serial killer. The serial killer chokes Harlan and kills him. Cooper stares at this. He cradles Harlan in his arms. Cooper. I've always loved you. I wanted to tell you about the gold it's dashed. It's buried in... Harlan? Harlan. Cooper looks up to the sky. Who did this? Lights out.
3: Hey, Josh. Hey, man. Killer name, dude. I love your name. <laughs> Stick with it. You're gonna. You're gonna. Yeah. You're gonna do great.
0: It's a- pretty
1: solid name uh so tell me where this sketch comes from
3: um this sketch actually uh, like as far as as the um the concept came from or the the original concept i uh was working i was kind of doing an improv duo with this guy named mike burton who uh he kind of does improv i think still out in new york and um he and i would do these two characters where they would they would just be blatantly obvious with the information they were giving each other, but they were never, but the other guy was just not receptive to it. And so it kind of started from that concept where it was just, it was just like, we would be sitting in a bar just being like, Hey, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I got my photos back from Fiji, you know, the, um, uh, and then the other person would just be like, Oh, Fiji. Oh, you, Oh, the, 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 um, the, uh, the, the, the country, the country. And then it's like, Oh yeah, the other country. And, and then just kind of put it all out. And then at the very end, they're just like, so uh, where'd you go on your vacation? Or something like that. It was just like the stupidest concept. This, The the, the blatant information that was given to these two characters were just not picking up on it. Right. And uh, the idea extrapolated into this idea of like, what if we just gave this to the most uh, important people that you could ha- like have being given this information and just neglecting to acknowledge it?
1: Yeah, I think a, a detective, you know, interrogating a, a criminal is definitely that right bit of uh elevating and heightening that, that concept for sure. It's
3: yeah, it's always uh it's always interesting when you write because I think this is the first sketch I wrote for National Scandal, my uh my sketch team that I write for. And this is the first one that was actually ever put up in a show of mine. And um I think Going through it, you, you kind of want to throw in more obvious things. It, build, it builds to an idea of like you're getting more and more specific to where there's absolutely no way that these people can can not understand that the person that they have in the room right now is the person that, that commits all these horrible crimes. So, I mean, looking at it now, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, man, because you, you grow so much as a writer over the course of, I don't know, like – how long it was that I wrote this, but um, you grow so much as a writer that you re- you read it now. And you're like, oh man, I, you're, you're self-editing. You know, you're kind of like, oh, the, uh, this line shouldn't be here. This this needs to be tightened up. This this doesn't need to be here. This is ex- this is kind of a extrapolation of like a smaller idea. I mean, looking at it now, I definitely would love to like create more of what the seri- like more specifics of the serial. I mean, he says the he says he does these weird things, but the map itself uh, uh, painted on the body was something that I think came out of rehearsal mm. uh, for the sketch. And it was one of those things where we were kind of thinking about, all right, well, what else could be like so obvious uh, that, that there's no way that they could, they would be idiots to let this person go. And we, we, we started talking about like how criminals would have like tattoos on their bodies. And we're like, okay, well then what would this guy have? besides or what would be the most comically idiotic thing to have on his body. Like, and I think when we would do it in shows, it would just be this crew. <laughs> it, 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 it it was intentionally drawn like a two year old <laughs> who would, you know, like, like a, like a drunk two year old with a magic marker, just writing on someone's skin. Like it had a little palm tree or something. And like the, <laughs> sun, like the sun was wearing like sunglasses. Cause it was too hot that day. So, um, I uh, and over time, the more and more that we write the sketch, or the more and more that we perform the sketch, we kind of like alter the script, and you 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 kind of tighten it up, or you add things in there that you did last time that you really liked, or if there was something in the in the original sketch that you had that kind of didn't work uh, that first time around. If you're lucky enough to do the sketch again, uh, kind of retaining that information and going back into the the draft and fixing all that stuff that you. Secretly should have cut to begin with
1: <laughs> Was this the first Sketch that you ever had like put on Its feet on stage Uh y- Uh
3: no There, there was I, I ended up Doing I ended up writing a Bit for uh, a Show called this live show which was Put together I think by Jay Mowski And Tamzy, Tamzy New I'm pretty sure that was them Um but it was this kind of Variety sketch show Okay. And uh, that that sketch was very uh, like it it was it was kind of it was just kind of still playing with like what what my voice was as a writer. So I think it was like 18th century texting, which I feel like I should have sent you and we should have read that because it's a lot shorter. (laughs) It's like two. (laughs) pages long, But it's it was essentially just like a what would it be like to send like, you know, texting during the 19th century. And so it was just this like poor actor i had like taking one like this this whole like uh like kind of like a journey of this servant boy running through the mud and having to shoot his horse because it died or it it, like broke its leg on his way to like deliver a message to this woman and it's like a dick pic or something and it's Mm. just it it was just silly as hell
1: (laughs) so this is your first sketch with national scandal how how did it go that first time on stage with the sketch
3: uh i remember it being very well received um which is kind of, which is a nice way of saying people laughed yeah. um yeah uh i remember i remember seeing it from the back cuz i was cuz i was running i was actually working tech for that show as well at the time i I've, i I've, I've, mer- I've worked my way up now i'm a, i'm a, now a writer and uh, and performer on the show yeah. um but seeing it on there you're for me i knew it was going well when uh cooper came in because we had we have it we have a uh, team member pat jones who who reads for that role and he's not with the team anymore unfortunately uh, but he uh he didn't die or anything he just you know he he, he took off he had to have a, a real life um yeah but when he came in he would just he would just kind of like bark these orders at uh parker who was playing the serial killer in the scene and it was kind of like it kicked it up so much it just pat would come in and start adding in kind of uh, ridiculous manly things to say. So I think when that, when that started to kick in, all the performances started to kind of come together and you knew that it was kind of all working. You know, we got really lucky where the people in national scandal are so good with bouncing off of each other that uh, when Pat, when that third character came in, you knew that you knew that the sketch would be working just because now you had all three of these insanos in, in one scene. So, but it started, it, it, it was very surreal. And then after a while I kind of, uh, couldn't focus on how it was being received. I was just more or less watching what everybody was. <laughs> everybody was reading my lines. Cause I was, I'm such a, uh, narcissist. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it, I remember it being received very well, and I was kind of actually really proud of it. So I'm always, I'm always a. This is like my baby. This is like my first little baby, out of out of <laughs>
1: multiple pups. <laughs> yeah, and you have a, a very interesting perspective of being like in the tech booth, watching like instead of like experience it firsthand, like in the sketch, like as one of the characters, like watching from. I'm not going to say on high, but like from a vantage point that's very different than, you know, seeing it like, you or just listening to it backstage, mm-hmm. like certain people do when they're not in their own sketch or like, so do you feel that there's any difference in seeing it from the tech booth versus being on stage or being just backstage listening to the responses? I, I love being on stage.
3: Like whenever we're, whenever we're performing on stage together, it's a different, it's a different experience for me. Um, and and i think in the booth i'm a lot i'm a lot more docile or when i'm not I, i'm not in the sketch that uh i'm i'm in that i've written um i'll sit in the back and i'll and i'll kind of yeah listen a little bit more it's a little bit surreal uh but yeah i'm a little bit more docile in the back because i don't i tr- i try not to laugh at my own stuff but um, there are there are some moments where I'll sit back there and, and you know we're we're so lucky in our team to have like so many fucking funny people. Uh, Sarah Nowak herself is just like one of the funniest people on the planet, and so we'll I'll write something insanely stupid for her to do, and I'll just be like Sarah, can you uh, be a be a hungover drunk mom? Uh, no, the, the morning after. And she goes, oh, great. Can I, should I just wear my bra? I was like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I'm going to come up uh, on stage in my bra. I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Just be totally hungover. And so we, so I'll just be sitting back there and watching this. And it's just like, so fucking funny to like, not get wrapped up in that excitement. Like seeing people see it for the first time, you know?
1: Mm, Yeah. 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 Uh, so going all the way back, um, what, do you have like an earliest memory of comedy and your comedy fandom as a kid?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, my mom has always got this wicked sense of humor and we were very, um, we're a very funny family. So we, when we were, when I was growing up, we would have, uh, like comedy central, And so Mm -hmm. we would watch. (laughs) This is this is like actually not a really good example. We would watch the um, old reruns of Saturday Night Live, but it wasn't the good season. It was like the Gene Dominion season, like the one that gets panned off as being the worst season season ever. So I was raised on that. (laughs) But other, but we would have that, and then um, my brother and I would. um, We weren't supposed to watch it, but we we would watch um, Beavis and ButtHead a lot. So we would get a lot yeah. of like stupid humor out of like out of all that. And of course,
1: Mystery Science Theater 3000. Do you have like that's when we were like nine or eight. Do you have a favorite episode of Mystery Science Theater? I have two.
3: And one of them is uh, The Girl in Gold Boots, which is a go-go dancer movie from the 1960s that they did. And it is incredibly fun. It's, it's one of the, the uh, best episodes I've ever seen. And another one was, oh, man, I think it's called Drawn at the Memory Bank with Raul Julia. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's great because you 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 see this, you see your favorite television show. Making fun of one of the worst movies ever made with one of the most amazingly amazing actors ever, ever created. And yeah, it's just kind yeah, of like he's the, not
1: a name that I expect to have ever been in a movie. That would be on Mr. Science Theater
3: 3000. When his name popped up, I was like, get the popcorn. I'm not talking to anybody on the phone for the next two hours because I'm watching Raul Julia get roasted on Mr. Science
1: Theater 3000. Because, I mean, we can make fun of like, you know, Street Fighter. Like, oh, yeah. But at the same time, like, he's he's boss.
3: Like he he is. He was he he was the classiest motherfucker in my mind because he was Gomez Adams.
1: You know, like and even now, like growing up uh, in high school, when we studied King Lear, he he did a Shakespeare in the Park that was like uh, televised on PBS in the 70s. And that's the one that we watched in school. Oh, and he's awesome. Him as Edmund in in Lear is brilliant. I love it. And he's just like, this is all leading up to Street Fighter. My role is M. Bison. I would just actually, and even then, like, he's having fun with that role too. Yeah. So it's not even like. I mean, it's just we are so lucky to live in a world where Raúl Julia
3: does a video game movie with Jean Claude <laughs> Van Damme. Like, we are living in such an amazing world right now. I don't. I think we take it for granted sometimes.
1: <laughs> well, you always have to like. I always joke that whenever you're doing those superhero movies, it's way more important who's cast as the villains versus who's the heroes like you need the good actors as the villain roles
3: yeah absolutely because they're the i think they're the you're gonna have the most fun as the villain you know that's i think that's the reason why a lot of people love playing like you know bad guys that's why i like writing for like a lot a lot of my writing is it like is kind of joined at the it's just like inner circle which is like the characters are always like the worst human beings in the world you know, just so you could just like yeah. give them the most outlandish shit to say.
1: Uh, you mentioned watching, you know, Saturday Night Live reruns on County Central and from that Gene Domanian years. Do you have a favorite SNL cast member? All uh,
3: time. Yeah, all time. You know, I'm going to, dude, I'm going to go with Farley. Yeah. Farley Farley was great. I, I would also, yeah, I would say Farley. Yeah.
1: Why Farley? He was
3: just. Farley was just the I mean he was the one that I think he just did he just did kind of everything that I knew was funny at the time. He was loud. He was just kind of like willing to just kind of do this crazy shit for a laugh and he 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 was also just a part like the integral movies of my youth which were just Tommy Boy, Black Sheep, um, I mean, he did cone heads and I was like watching cone heads. I was like, I went to go see it because Chris Farley was in it.
1: Mm.
3: And I was just like, Oh yeah, I gotta go see this. Cause Farley's in it. Billy, Billy Madison. I mean, even the, the smallest things that he's given, like in his unfortunately short career, he kills every single. in Billy Madison. He's one of my favorite parts is that crazy ass bus driver.
1: Yeah, he's definitely one of those guys that like can take a, a role that he might have only, only been on set for like a day or two. Yeah, and totally just have fun with it and make it memorable for sure.
3: Well, um, unfortunately, I think with the with what he was taking, it, he there there was definitely a way for to get him in and out within a day because he was just running on all twelve cylinders that he had. Yeah, if if anybody is interested, actually, since, since Comedy Talk, uh, there is a brilliant book uh, called the Chris Farley show and it's a
1: the oral history the oral
3: history i mean have yeah. you read it yes oh, i have it's... i
1: i i think i got it like day one it came oh, out like God. i was so it's
3: such a beautiful uh beautiful book so sad but very very good so heartbreaking so heartbreaking. heartbreaking yeah absolutely i was on a i was on a plane i think coming back from christmas reading that and i was just like bawling in like the jet blue terminal and they're like is this man okay
1: that was my next question if you were reading that on a plane i was going to say did you cry oh yeah since you Everyone has that idea that when like your emotions get heightened when you're on a plane, like, and like a movie can make you cry, even though it's not the sad movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, I remember reading um, Martin Short's autobiography oh, on man. a plane and he got to the end where his wife dies and I'm like bawling yeah. on my like cross country, like a, like a lunatic.
3: Well, I think it's just because you're, yeah, you're, you're kind of, I think that when you're up in the air, like they thir- like, what is it like 6 million feet in the air? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know length as far as uh, air airfare goes. Um, but I do think that like when you get up at that, that area of the world, you're definitely going to feel be a little bit more emotional than most. That's why I, it does something to that's you. For why sure. I think like if you get drunk on an airplane, don't you get more drunk? because
1: <laughs> You're closer. Oh, I don't know. I've never tried. I've, I've always tried to like sleep my way uh, through planes, but I, I will sleep through an airplane
3: ride, No problem. But I'll also drink while I sleep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh so where do we start uh going what, what's your first step into uh writing and performing comedy
3: yeah i mean i had uh ended up getting interested in going to chris aurelio's uh sketch uh writing group or a sketch writing class that he had at, that he that he was teaching at through um the pit okay and so um w- and i had known chris uh, through passing and stuff. And we had kind of known the same people. And uh, I just kept on writing more and more stuff that I eventually uh, wanted to continue writing stuff for myself, but also wanted to kind of expand a little bit more and like work with other people
1: mm-hmm.
3: because it, it, writing for yourself. Cause so what it ended up doing was I ended up doing my own show. I, I had written it's kind of like a, a character, uh, not a variety show, but it was just kind of like a character show that I did called Maniac. And so I, I gave myself a, a a set date for the show. I was like, okay, this is a set date. You have to go ahead and create a show within that period of time. And so I had to promise myself that I would just continue uh, writing as much as I could And through that, just try to whittle it down to what I thought was the best, most strongest pieces that I had. Um, And then doing the show, I I kind of just ended up getting asked to, uh, like, come and do, uh, like, kind of guest appearances at other people's shows. Like, if they had, like, maybe five or ten minutes to spare, I'd go in and do some stuff. So I ended up opening one day for National Scandal. Okay. And so – I had, um, I have no idea if this answers your question, <laughs> but I, I ended up, I ended up doing a, a guest spot there once. And then after that, they, they had ended up, uh, a couple weeks later offering me a spot on the team. Oh, wow. So yeah, um, it, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting and very, uh, not a shock, but it was just def- definitely something I didn't see coming at all, or I didn't anticipate someone asking me to do. Um, but, uh, from there and then I was like kind of jettisoning. Uh, jettisoning like, ideas like out. So it was just kind of like trying to write as much as I could within a week's time by the time we uh,
1: meet up for the first time. so What's the experience like of joining a team that's already established? It's hard. Uh,
3: because you don't think that... I, 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 I knew a lot of people on that team already, but I, I didn't know... I was very nervous. And the reason was, was because, um, Holden McNeely, who, uh, is a, he's, he's one of the founding members of murder fist and he, uh, works a lot with Last podcast network right now. He was the director for the, for the team. And so I was, I was okay with the other members because I knew them. I didn't know Holden that well. So, I knew that I respected him as a as a direct as a writer and a performer. I didn't know him as a, as a director yet, so mm-hmm. I was kind of a little bit timid because I, I I did that thing where I wanted to seem cool, you know, right? Like first you know first day her uh, first day of meetings, I just come in and just say some ridiculous shit and try to like be like Holden, yeah, don't you think that's funny? Like just like trying to earn approval and. It was, it was very pathetic. (laughs) It was very pathetic. But if you're lucky enough to be, to, to be asked to be on a team with people that you know in the past, it's really good because it takes the pressure off of you trying to prove to them that you have, that that you're funny because they know that you're funny.
1: Right. It's not like you're going totally blind, like going in totally blind with an entire, entirely new group of strangers.
3: Exactly. It's not like it's not like you're walking through Times Square and some dude walks up to you. It's like, hey, man, you got you got time for an eight o'clock show tonight? You want to be in my sketch team? <laughs> no, it's like, nah, it doesn't. It's not like somebody handing you a CD in the middle of Times Square. It's yeah, it, I, I think that for me it was very, it was a it was a transition for me because then I knew that it was more or less like I was I was involving myself with people that I knew and I respected and I knew that I wanted to get involved with. And it, it was so good because all the people who are on that team uh, do amazingly funny stuff. Like it's incredibly like amazing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it was very, very hard for me, but after a while, I just kind of like just said, fuck it. Like if, if they, if, if Holden or anybody else in the team didn't like me, they would have kicked me out by now and they haven't yet. So I'm doing something. <laughs>
1: uh, so like, I mean you mentioned um, I think you mentioned taking a class with uh, Chris Aurelia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His name, right? Uh, so what why do that class to begin with?
3: Um I was doing improv in the in the in the city
1: and Oh, so you start with oh, so you start with improv. Yeah, I start with improv.
3: Oh, so let's talk about that oh, then. Oh, okay, sure.
1: So <laughs> how do we how do we start with improv? Uh,
3: I, I ended up coming to um uh the pit and ended up like Oh God, this is so horrible. I ended up taking free classes from the pit while I was working for them. So I kind of just like, it was something that I wanted to go ahead and do in the, I was like, oh yeah, improv would be kind of fun. So I started uh, taking these classes. And then from there I did all the, the levels, I guess. That's kind of like, all right, well, that's fun. And then, so, <laughs> and then I start doing indie teams and I would do, we would do basement shows and we would do like far out, like artist co-ops out in Queens. And it was kind of like, all right, well, this is fun now what's the next step
1: and how, how much time is there between starting improv and starting the sketch? Do you eight think? years? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. I would say about eight years. Oh, okay. it, I mean, it,
3: it sounds really, it sounds very unfathomable, but yeah, that is true. <laughs> Cause so, I devoted, I devoted so much weird time to, to, uh, to improv that it was just like, so it was kind of just an insane thing. We're, were you always a performer kid, or? Oh uh, yeah, I did theater. Yeah, okay. I, I did. I did theater in high school, and I uh, not to brag, but I came to New York to be an actor. And let me tell sure. you, I'm I'm still waiting to be an actor. Um, <laughs> but I, I I would kind of be drawn to just performing. So it, I was really lucky because when I found the pit, I was like, okay, well, at least I have a place to perform if I ever wanted like stage time, just to kind of like become a little bit more confident with who I am. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I ended up, uh, doing, being more involved with, um, with improv and, and by the time I was kind of getting bored with it, I was like, I'm not, I don't know if I really want to keep on doing shows for free in a basement on a Wednesday night at two o'clock in the morning. You know, it's, it's not, it's not something or or in Jersey or something. I was like, this is not something that I really feel like calls to me,
1: Uh, (laughs) believe it or not you saying in private two in the morning sounds awful yeah i know know.
3: it's like you're you're doing it for your friends and just a a like danny devito in a rat costume in the back just a giant ass rat just sitting there watching you perform smoking a uh, cigarette um so so when i was kind of like kind of winding down from improv i was kind of like all right well What's next? Like I, I, I knew I liked writing because I used to write a lot in high school and I still liked to write and I was kind of like working on things off and on and I never really committed myself entirely to that. And so when uh, I started to watch more sketch comedy, so I would try to devote my time to seeing a lot more sketch comedy. So I ended up seeing Murder Fist. Uh, those were, those were mm. one of the first sketch teams I saw in New York and I was like, "This, is, this, this these guys are fucking amazing like this is incredible like how is nobody like doing this like this is like something i've never seen like it, it was basically some i i looked at it and i was like this is not sketch comedy that i i was thinking sketch comedy could be you know what i mean right and um yeah. and that was that was really eye opening for me and i think and it's kind of weird because when you when you look back on your life you're like oh man that was a that was a really important moment and you never you never listen to yourself, you know? It's like cause I think that if I had listened to myself at that moment when I saw a murder fist, I was like, that's it. Like, sketch, we gotta start writing sketch. I sat on my ass for like another two or three years before I was like, oh yeah, I should start actually writing more sketch. So Yeah, it's um I'm I'm very lazy sometimes when it comes to that shit. I've gotten better. I've gotten much better.
1: <laughs> so getting in uh getting ingrained with national scandal, like what becomes your process of writing for this team? Like, I mean, I'm assuming this is the first time that you're in a writer's room full time, like other doing, doing, you know, the one-off shows that you mentioned, like what's that experience like of joining Um, a writer's room for you? It's very, it's, it's,
3: it's really inviting. It's, um, I guess inviting would be a really nice word to say. It's it's good to know because you'd come in with um, you know a couple of ideas or concepts. You know, you like you kind of like vomit all your shit out, and there would be we kind of all sit around and you know kind of pick and choose which ones seemed really good. And to me, it was good to know that when i came in i would just immediately i think my first my first every time i'd start like a a concept pitch i'd always say like this is stupid or be like don't feel like you have to choose this you know what i mean like i wasn't confident enough in myself to be able to say like oh this is uh, you know this is going to be the raddest shit you've ever heard um i was a little bit more yeah I, it took me a while to kind of like get used to collaboration which which was it's not a bad thing and, uh, you know, I, I say that like, oh, I hate collaboration. No, I love collaboration. I just wasn't used to it.
1: Right. It takes forever to, when you're writing by yourself. Yeah. Because, it, I, and it's a different muscle to
3: flex. It's, it's, it's really, it's really, yeah, exactly. Because you're, you're sitting there and you're always used to writing for yourself. And no one's behind your, no one's reading it with you. And no one's uh, like, kind of like, uh, pulling it off with you where they go, oh, okay, this line kind of sucks or this line doesn't make sense or, you know, sometimes you can, you can have a pitch or you can have a line that someone will be like, this line is kind of problematic, you know? And, yeah. you know, you, you, you kind of have to be like, oh yeah, okay, I understand. And, and then you, you, you take it and then you just kind of underst you, you kind of tell yourself or or at least I did when I, when some of those things would happen, sometimes that would happen. I'd be like, yeah, shit. I just have to be better at writing, you know, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. if, if that's the case, like that seems like, uh, then you just have to write more to hone that shit and just kind of be able to kind of pull off better stuff so that the next time you write something and you send and you send it out or you, you throw a concept out, you, uh, you're a lot, lot more confident with it.
1: But how would you describe a national scandal show, a party in someone's basement and, and all your
3: friends are there <laughs> and they're all drinking and they're having fun and mom and dad aren't going to be home for a long time. <laughs> yeah, we're um that I was uh, it's it's a wild show sometimes. And I always like to I always like to say it's kind of like a. Yeah, it's a. um. It's a it's a punk rock show with controlled chaos, and and people seem to really like it. It's loud and it's fun and it's messy a lot of the time. But I think it's all.
1: Really yeah, I, I've I've heard about the messy before. Yeah, we like to get
3: messy. We're little piggies on stage.
1: <laughs> I've also heard that there's always some kind of fake blood and there's generally someone dying like in sketches. Like those seem you'd to be, be.
3: You'd be surprised uh, how many sketches we have where a lot of people die at the end. <laughs> Like, it's, it's, we've, we've come up with several ways to to off each other on stage in different ways. And it's always a pleasure to do.
1: Which is really funny because a couple of years ago, uh, after seeing a certain show here, like a a team show in Philadelphia, and I noticed that like every sketch had some reference to dying or death or something or or characters actually dying in it, I actually gave myself like a role that I had to go a, a a while, like where none of my, characters or anyone died
2: <laughs> yeah just yeah. from this
1: one show i, mean, I was like oh they, they overdid it so let's <laughs> let's course correct a little I, bit
3: i will um so that that actually is a really good point because um we, there was a point there's a period when i was writing with with national scandal and holdem was directing where he uh we would notice like he would notice like trends, like he would notice things. He's like, okay, this, there was a, there was a period of time where I would always have like a homeless person or a Vietnam vet in my sketch. Mm -hmm. It was just like, it was just for some reason it was there. And, uh, one day during a read through Holden was like, Oh, is this another, is this another Josh's Vietnam, (laughs) Vietnam homeless (laughs) man sketch? And I was like, no, 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 I promise. I swear to God. And I sincerely, like, I did not, I was not like being an like a smartass or anything. I was like, oh, no, absolutely not. No, I specifically wrote, wrote this sketch and we're reading it. And as we're reading it, the line we re- read the stage directions, enter Goyle, homeless Vietnam vet. Everyone, like, everyone just, you heard everybody just go, seriously?
2: We fucking <laughs> asked you at the beginning of this and you said
3: no. And it was, um, it, it was just so, it, it's just, and so. Holden at the end of it, he was just like, "Look, you're looking at it like, like a video game. You're thinking of it as like a fighting video game, like Street Fighter. You keep on pushing A, you keep on pushing A and forward, A and forward. That's what you're going to do. A and punch. You're punching and you're moving forward. You're never going to win a fight in Street Fighter by just pushing the same buttons. Right. You're going to have to change this. You're going to have to change things up in order to win and basically move on to the next round or whatever. Whoever the fuck, whatever the analogy might be." I don't know. What are video games?
1: Do you do you have any idea why you had that character just stuck in your crawl? Like
3: I don't know. I I I sincerely do not know. And it's uh the good news is is that I still write the same character, but it's not <laughs> they have specific names and they're and they're comp- they're uh they have different jobs every single time. They're just more and more right. disgusting.
1: So for whatever reason, you had this archetype of a character, but, and then you, he just ended up being a homeless vet for a while.
3: What what I wanted, I think what it was is that I always wanted to have someone in the sketch that was just kind of just a a gutter boy, like someone who just was the, (laughs) the grossest part of humanity entering the scene and, and kind of commenting or saying something or doing something that was kind of troubling these, uh, this, this scenario of these people's lives and, I don't for some reason I I think I think that now it's more or less I don't write that character so much. What I do is now I make the sketch about the gross <laughs> the gross shitty right. parts of people. And so it's it's not just one person now it's extrapolated into an entire scene and then it's gonna be an entire world and depending on whether or not I get this pilot.
1: <laughs> so how do you come about your process of creating you know, your ideas, your pitches now.
3: I, I usually, I usually, the best way to describe it is that I would, I whittle it all down. And, uh, in essentially what that would be, would be like taking, um, taking my notebook full of ideas that I've just been carrying around and just writing ideas in and trying to, go through there and see the ideas and the pitches or the stupid lines that I've written in there and seeing what I can build from those concepts. And if Mm -hmm. I'm, and from there, I'll kind of be like, all right, well, um, we've got, we've got two, we got, we got at least two sketches today that we can write on a concept, um, or, or on two, two, two different concepts, two different sketches. One of these sketches is not going to finish. It's not going to make the finish line. I already know it because generally I always I – always, I always usually call it like my kill sketch. Like it's going to be the sketch that I'm going to have to kill because it will be – what's the word? Like you're um, – like you, it's the first one that I'm going to get out. Yeah. And I know the first one I'm going to get out is just going to kind of be like this, this kind of like stupid idea, vomit out of something that I know might not – I know it's not going to work. But the second thing that I'm going to work on I know is going to probably end up being – what i'm going to use right um but but either way i rarely i rarely have like two sketches that i'll end up submitting for something i usually like to do one there used to be a uh ah shit i'm tooting my own horn here there used to be a time where (laughs) i would i would have four sketches a pitch session and boy did everybody hate me then it's always a pissing contest i feel sometimes too You know, I I try to I try to limit that down because I always I always get self conscious about that sometimes. Like going into a going into a meeting with four sketches, because I I never know how much free time I have when somebody when somebody's like, you have four sketches, and I was like, yeah, like why do you (laughs) why do you have four sketches? It's like I don't know, I just wrote a lot, it's just like you have a. You have a wife, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I do. It's like, does she know where you are most of the time? So a- after a while, I try to like, I try to. I don't want to. I always like to try to limit what I I throw into a pitch meeting because I I'm aware that some of the things I'm going to throw in there aren't going to aren't going to work, and I'm okay with kind of like killing my darlings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's my understanding that. Uh, National Scandal is is ending its regular run at the yeah. pit, like of monthly shows and stuff, to focus on other projects. So as National Scandals as, as National Scandal enters this new season, which is a really weird weird way of <laughs> saying it, uh, what do you expect of National Scandal going forward?
3: I think we're going to be more fearless. I now? think, yeah we're going to be yeah we're going to be a lot we're going to be we're going to have the the blood of the fucking lion on our teeth man we're going to be licking our gums i think we're going to start tearing apart a lot of a lot of uh sketch i mean i i really i really do i i i love this team so much um and it's where we are we're hungry man we are we are mm-hmm. hungry we will we will do a show for you put us somewhere we'll fucking make it make it worth your while cuz i don't want to go see, i don't want to see a show where i'm bored i hate it <laughs> if, especially if it's a if it's a sketch show
1: oh oh i know it's awful yeah 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 uh, it's 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 one of those but it's one of those things yeah. of like uh being betrayed by something that you love like i love comedy so uh, much and when i see a bad show i'm like oh why would you do this to me like yeah, which is totally it, irrational. Like
3: it, it is. And and it's, it's always one of those things where you want to, you want to be as supportive as you can to, 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 uh the performers and the writers and people who put their time and effort into everything. And then there, I, but there has been times where I've just seen lazy sketch comedy. Yeah. I've, I've like, i I've, I've been like, you guys are lazy. Also, oh, well, I shouldn't say that. There was also, there's also been uh I've seen sketch comedy teams where I've just hated just because of the way that they treated people.
1: Oh, that's, you know, that's totally fair too. like, yeah,
3: I mean, it's, it's so funny being, being in the sketch community in New York, you, you do one thing, one thing only for your show. Your show could suck. Doesn't matter. You pay your tech. If you have a tech, you pay them or at least you're nice to them. That's what I would say. Yeah. Cause then you're fucked either. You're fucked if you don't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Be nice to the people that are there for you. Like yeah. At, uh, yeah. at the bare minimal. Yeah.
3: But I think, uh, I'm, I'm excited, man. I think that we're, we don't have that safety net anymore of being in uh being in the pit and we're going to be, um, we're going to be ready for the hunt.
1: Nice. Uh, so we talked, you know, you did a, a ton of time in improv you did some character showcase stuff before joining national scandal Were there are there any other projects that you like any major projects in your history that you're especially proud of or uh
3: yeah i mean there's i mean it's so funny because i've got i do i i do these like a whenever I can like do these small little videos, I have these Brian Landis series videos that I have on my YouTube page that have four, okay. that have 14 likes and I'm proud of those 14. Likes. <laughs> um, but it's this, it was this character that I did during my, um, my character shows that was kind of like this, uh, a uh, dude who, who, spe- who would sell like, like occult shit. Like he special, that's what his specialty was. Like he would sell haunted house property or he would, uh he would sell cursed objects. It was this um character that I would play in the, um in these, in these uh character shows. And every single time I did it, it would just get this like ridiculous reaction from everybody because it was just like the most insane thing in the world. And it would just be a video sketch. I would only do him a certain amount of time, but I always, I always thought those were really, those are one of my, my, proudest things to do just because i put so much time into it
0: mm-hmm.
3: um but uh the other one would be oh man uh there was we we there uh, bj bj thorn who who also does comedy in new york uh, phil casale stephanie holmes and i used to work on a show called welcome to hell and, uh, that was kind of, we'd always do it on Halloween and it was basically a talk show set in hell. And, okay. and it would, uh, it would always be the most insanely stupid thing you could see on stage and we would have a blast doing it. It was just the most, it, it was, it would be the most fun i would ever had doing a show before. And it was, it was always one of those shows where, which I kind of miss doing it would be one of those things where you would go in and you'd have kind of a rough outline of how the show would go. Right. You, would, you wouldn't have a script. And it was kind of like a retro scripted idea of what the show was going to be. So it would be like uh, beat, beat, beat musical guest, beat, beat, beat. And so that would be literally 10 minutes before the show. And, but we would, we would have these insane characters that we would just come up with. And it would be like, I was a floating head when, or I was a severed head, like on a catering table. Uh, and so I would just kind of like be the zombie of the uh, fucked up Pee Wee's Playhouse we'd have, and so I would just scream like things at people like throughout the show, and uh, people would throw water on me and throw water in my face because I was being such an asshole. It, it was it was like one of the funniest things, one of the funnest shows I've ever done, and we don't do it anymore. So thanks for bringing, thanks for making me remember that, Josh. I appreciate that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Remember the good times. I know,
3: I know. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's such a good show, man. I missed it. The other the other thing, the, the one time also, actually, the um, this is maybe in between me doing National Scandal and M- Maniac, which was which was my uh, character show. I ended up writing this submission, like stage play, like comedy stage play for Sketchfest one year, which was Orphan Town. Okay, and it was just it was just a one day thing. I I ended up deciding I was just going to go have this thing do for one day, and it was this kind of uh, like environment uh, stage play comedy play where it was all these residents of this town called Orphan Town. The the concept was where it was basically where alien abductions, Bigfoot is there, and it's all like. Run by orphans. It's these grown-up orphans that have ended up taking over this town, and they've kind of just resulted in their own martial law as far as what goes on. So, I I had written that, and it would also involve I I would just t- pull all of my favorite people who I liked working with in on it for that one night. I was like, "Do you guys want to do this?" And they'd be like, "Yeah, sure." So that was that was really fun too, and and it was really sucks because I have no. I have the scripts, but I don't think I have like a video recording of it, but God damn, that was fun. That was a fun, fun Mm. show.
1: Yeah. It's always a bummer when you don't have like that, that visual record of something cool.
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess now I'm, I'm kind of coming under the, I'm, I'm getting under the better impression that it's best to kind of retain those memories on your own. You know, I don't really necessarily need a picture of that or a video of this or something like that. I'm I'm okay with the memories, man. Like, yeah. I went to we went to go see David Byrne last night in uh, American Utopia, and I was like, this is amazingly cool. We're seeing David Byrne on stage, and people were like taking photos of him, and I was like, I wh- why? It's just like it just doesn't seem. It just like, it just doesn't seem like it's very um, tangible to me. I don't know. I, I it just yeah. I don't know. I'm rambling. <laughs>
1: No, it's it. I totally understand because, like, you know, back in the day, growing up and using like film cameras, photos seemed so much more important. But now that we take photos of everything, and people take photos of everything they ever eat, and <laughs> think that the that their all their friends need to see every meal that they ever had, like everyone's interesting man in their own way. That's why they got to document it. That that. the the desire to take photos has totally decreased for me. Yeah.
3: I mean, it's, I can, I can understand it. It's just, um, yeah, I, there are just some moments where I just, I kind of just want to step back and just kind of just enjoy that little, that little moment that, yeah. Enjoy
1: the moment the 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 idea of people like doing video at concerts, like on their phone. I'm just like, dude, just,
0: just watch it. I mean, that's the other thing
3: too, is that whenever I'm doing a show, if I'm in a show, I'm not going to document it. I can't document that shit. There's maybe it's easier for me because I'm performing. I'm just going to remember that, that, that show, but there's no way that I can document it through. Like I can't take a phone on stage and start taking pictures of myself, like being a jackass. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) So maybe I, I retain those memories a little bit more now because I'm just kind of more in tune to just being, uh, wanting to remember those little moments on stage again, that sounds like, so I'm, I'm not so up my own ass about that, but I was like, I was like having those little moments (laughs) be like, man, that was a fucking show. Uh,
1: with all the time that you've done in improv and now the, you know, the few years that you've been a part of national scandal, is there something that you've learned about comedy that you would pass on to a new comedy writer?
3: You're the, you're the only one that knows you. So that's what you have to write about. And you have to trust your instincts if you think something isn't working. Um, I, I I think that writing really kind of brings out the true you a lot of the time. And you have to recognize who you're serving whenever you write. Are you serving the audience? Are you serving an, out, an outside purpose? Or are you serving yourself? Mm. I think it's more deserving to to serve it for yourself because then you're being more true to yourself. And honestly, the fulfillment of knowing that something that you wrote that is so specifically true to you is resonating to other people. When you hear them laugh or you hear them like fucking hoot and holler and they start screaming at the end of the, at the end of a sketch because that was so fucking funny. If you have people coming up to you at the end of a show telling you how much they loved your sketch, you're gonna you're gonna feel like you're on top of the fucking world. You're tap dancing on Mars, dude. And that's the beauty of it. (laughs) I I think that you can you know, you it's the it's Dennis Leary being Bill Hicks. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like (laughs) yeah, it's Dennis Leary, but I mean what's his true voice? Yeah. You know? So I think that early on you have to, you have to figure out what that is. And hopefully, hopefully you'd figure you, you'll figure it more out as you, the more you write. The other thing I would say also is just keep writing. You, you, you have to be, you have to discipline yourself. Like you have to be able to kind of give yourself, um, you can't let yourself bullshit and ice skate all over this. Like if you want to really improve and be better, you've got to keep writing. you got to write <laughs> every day. Um, I mean, and, and I know, I know it sounds weird to be like, yeah, you got to write every day, but not a, f- I mean, dude, don't write a full fucking sketch every day. You, that, that's madness. You're, you're reaching like shining level bullshit. Uh, I don't write every day. What I do do is I, as I have my notebook, I'll write like, like small things in it every day. And then it just depends on how you have to be just disciplined with how you go about it. Um, But yeah, I'm, I, I think that this is a really good graduation speech that I'm doing right now. (laughs) I can't wait to see what the class of 2025 is doing and how my dead hologram is go is being glitched into you right now. So, but. And
1: then finally uh, you moved to New York to become an actor. Uh, you get into the improv scene, you get into the sketch scene. Yeah. Why comedy? Why has comedy gotten a hold of you and been a big part of your life last 10 or so years?
3: It's the most fun. It's the most fun. And it's the easiest to do, honestly. I mean, shit. I remember when I was trying to, trying to audition for shit and then it would just be like, you want to audition. Okay. Are you union? Are you non-union? Can you travel to Jersey? Do you, can you, do do you, do you like taking buses? Uh, Oh yeah. This is six weeks in the Poconos like, but there's no pay. And you have to sleep on like the, the stage manager's, uh, tr- uh trash compactor heap or something. It's just like, it's fucking, I was, I was just kind of like, man, this is not. And then I started doing improv. I was like, this isn't, this is a lot easier. I, don't, I can just show up and do this shit. Uh, it, I, I think that it gave me a lot more, um, like stage time. Get, get, got me more confident Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then it just builds you, builds you, and builds you, and builds you, and then you just become a rock hard fucking sensation that people burn their fingers when they're touching you because you're on fire all the time. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being silly. All right.
1: Thanks, Josh. You're welcome, buddy.
0: Josh and the rest of National Scandal will be performing the final show of their monthly run at the People's Improv Theater in New York City on Thursday, November 14th at 7.30 p.m. On the underground stage. Tickets for that show can be found at thepit-nyc.com. And for more on National Scandal, head to national Like them on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash national scandal, and follow them on Twitter at national scandal. And on Instagram at national underscore scandal. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at PhillySketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at Philly Sketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band No-No, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.